Hello and welcome to the Manchester is Red podcast. I'm your host Tyrone Marshall, joined by Samuel Lockers today. We are both back in San Diego after a whirlwind 20 hours or so in Houston. It's been the uh, the draining leg of United's US tour, I think it would be fair to say. Always, of course, a, a real privilege to, to follow the team on these tours, but the uh, the Tuesday game in San Diego against Wrexham, the Wednesday game in Houston against Real Madrid, the, the three-hour flight on Wednesday and Thursday, the two-hour time difference, it's been... Um, it has been a real slog, I think, for, for everyone involved. But we are back in San Diego now for the last couple of days here before heading to Vegas. Uh, we obviously had the Wrexham game on, on Tuesday night. We'll maybe touch on that a little bit later on. Um, team of Academy players, obviously, but somehow it, it became the story of the tour. Um, but the, the real, in terms of interest, I guess, the, the main event was Real Madrid at the, the NRG Stadium in Houston, a phenomenal stadium. Uh, United beaten 2-0. Um, I, I thought they played okay in patches, but kind of the, the same old issues really. They, they created very little, bordering on nothing. Um, I mean, what was your what was your views of, of the game and United's performance? Well, I mean, I was I was not quite as enthusiastic as you during mm. during the game as, yeah. uh, as, as 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 you discovered. And what I've said it before, but what I like about Ten Hag is that even if they've won certain games, he'll still be quite critical of them that they should have won more they should have done this better or that better he, he he is very hard to please but that's what United need and he wasn't particularly like he he was he was positive in certain aspects of it he said that they went toe to toe with a really good team um, he said it was a complicated formation for Madrid Madrid played with a 4-4-2 and they never really got to grips with that either and that Vinicius would he would drift wide to be a winger, but he was he was one of the two up top, yeah. and he was he was terrific. And you, you, as I said, United never really got to grips with him. They, I, I thought Madrid were a lot more. They looked a lot quicker and slicker. And their pre-season had, had only started a, a few days earlier against AC Milan, but sometimes that that, that can just be on the on the evening. Uh, sometimes it's it's just the quality you have in your team. You look at the, the quality Madrid have, and that they are objectively. A better team than United. There's a reason why United looked at Kamvinga, looked at yeah. uh, Chouameni, looked at Bellingham. The three players that they considered or really, really wanted to sign, they didn't sign them. They've all gone to Madrid, and sometimes that difference can can be apparent in a game. Um, but they they did have opportunities to at least at least draw it. I mean, Marcus Marcus Rashford playing up top. I I always think it's a bit of a waste of time because he's he's just not a striker, and he's he's shown. What a brilliant! I think he can be world class, really, when he's playing from the left, when he's at his optimum. And you might as well just play, continue try, trialing Jane Sancho there, who was building, you know, developing some momentum, some rhythm, because Sancho is not going to play on the left the way it's going. You've got Rashford there, you've got Garnacho there, and when the chance did come to Rashford, and it was interesting, I think he touched upon it in. In the the, the Q&A ad with Gary Neville when he said that you can go like 10 minutes or 20 minutes without touching the ball a striker and then you've got to be ready to to score if a chance comes your way and when that chance did come to him his first touch was heavy and then the keeper came out and did quite well to, to, to block the shot so I mean the Real Madrid's two goals that were, were high quality goals the, the chip from Bellingham and, mm. and, and Hosloo's volley late on but I didn't ever get the sense that United were really peppering the Madrid goal. They had a couple of good chances. I mean, Garnacho should have done better with a shot that went over. And and I mean, I think there were three players that Ten Hag mentioned afterwards. It was Rashford, Garnacho, and McTominay. Maybe quite harsh on McTominay because he'd gone on a 
And Vinicius like runs yeah. to get himself into position to have a shot at goal, but he regards it as a one-on-one, and the shot was too close to the keeper. But I thought that Andre Nana was probably the busier of the two goalies. Mm. Um, so for for all the the play United had and all their interplay, they 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 didn't have a lot to show for it, and they certainly didn't have any goals to show for it. And we're back in that area. That it's it's that you know same theme as last season. This recurring theme of they are going to struggle. They are going to struggle to score goals, and they might still struggle to score goals if they get their number nine in because of of, of Hoyland's hit rate. But they need a focal point up there, and if Hoyland provides that focal point and he gets I don't know ten or fifteen goals a season, but everyone around him their, their numbers are going up, then great. That that probably justifies his existence. But whether it's a competitive game or a friendly game. That is still a big bugbear for Ten Hags, and I think they've had four four preseason matches now, and was it four four goals? Isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. One nil win against Leeds. One nil win against um, Leon. Two nil against Leeds. Two, so. Sorry, two nil. Was five it two nil? Yes, it was two nil against yeah. Leeds. Sorry, so five, five, five and goals five and four. And you look at the identity of some of those goal scorers; they're not going to get a kick for no. United at. Um, at competitive level, and um, and that, that that might just be Donny Van der Beek. People think I'm referring to, but I'm actually referring to Joe Hugel and and Noah Memorand. So uh, they that they really need to address that. They they are trying to address that, I suppose. But I th- I think when you come up against a, a high quality team like Madrid, it's it's always good for your preparation in that you are you're coming up against best in class really in, in in some of their positions, whether it's a young midfielder in Bellingham or an old midfielder in Modric. That is going to be beneficial, which is why it's such a shame that Copy Mainu fell yeah. out as early as he did. <coughs> yeah, excuse me. Um, I mean, I think we were surprised in a way to see Copy Mainu on the team sheets for for a game like that. But it shows how well he's been doing, and I think it shows that he's probably above McTominay, Fred, and Van der Beek in the in the pecking order now. Um, but yeah, the, the goals are are a real issue. I think we've seen Ten Hag do some some fairly interesting things tactically this. This preseason, the Arsenal game, we touched on the fullbacks being so high and central, almost as number eights. Um, you, you could see against Real Madrid that with Andre and Arna coming in, who we'll touch on in a minute, they, they could just play so so high, really, that it was such a high line, everything was so compact that they almost ended up attacking with with six players. You had Mount and, and Eriksen, really. Fernandes was on the wing, but Mount and Eriksen playing as, as number eights, number tens next yeah. to each other. There was a lot of players in attacking positions but just not really making it work when it comes to comes to goals and, and creating chances. I think all the you know, I think Andre Lunin made three saves maybe, but they were all from fairly long range. I know McTominay's was was R- closer Rashford's in. Was like Rashford's close, he was closer in. Yeah. And Mount in the first half, of course. Um I think he was a little bit off balance. McTominay as well, I think was <laughs> off balance after that that long run. Um but in terms of goalkeepers, the the fascination was with one man really, and that was Andre Anana. Um I mean, I, I wrote a piece. It was it was a revolution basically in in goal compared to what we're used to with with David De Gea and Arna just playing. You know, he was midway through the half at the very least when the ball was in Real Madrid's half, touching on the centre circle at times. Pretty much every pass I would say went short. It, it was just completely different to what we used to watching with United goalkeepers, wasn't it? Yeah, I, I suppose the irony of Bellingham's goal was that if Inanna had not come off his yeah. line, he, he wouldn't have got beaten in that way, and, and it might still have been a nil-nil. But you wouldn't, you wouldn't necessarily dis- discourage that. You wouldn't say he was necessarily at fault for it either. I mean, it was it was an immaculate first touch from Bellingham, and then the, the chip, which he made look ridiculously easy, was was perfect as well. Even just the way it went over, and 
hit the the bottom of the net first rather than bouncing in. Uh, but he made a couple of very good saves. He was proactive. Uh, he came a long way off his line, I think, for a header uh, later on in the second half that, that did go to a Madrid player, but he, he wasn't punished for it. I, I, I thought it was quite an encouraging first first appearance for him in a United shirt. Um, he's he's not afraid to to you know get be on a teammate's case either. He, he had a he had a moan at Wan Bissaka at one mm. point. Uh, he was quite uh, demonstrative with with Lissandra Martinez as well, who obviously he'll know from from his Ajax days. So. Uh, on, on first impressions, I think you, you can you can not be impressed really with the way he conducted himself, and he, he he's going to have to make his presence felt in that defence as well because he's new to it. It it helps immeasurably that he speaks English. Um, yeah. I mean, when when De Gea came to United, he was he was twenty and he, he couldn't speak English, and that was always going to be a barrier, especially when the defence back then was quite anglicised I mean it's not these days it's actually quite you know I think there was this Latino rebranding of it last season by by Ten Hag it's it's obviously been uh, tweaked now with with Anana coming in he's got Wan Saka as the starting right back of course um, he's not an England international but he's, he's grown up in England and I, I think when again in, in a game like that you, you don't want a keeper who's going to be a shrinking violet, and he and he wasn't. I mean, mm. it's quite a big crowd, sixty odd thousand. Man United, Real Madrid, and and Ten Hag had spoken before about his character and how he likes a challenge, and th- I thought that was pretty evident, really. Um, when, when he had to deal with things, he dealt with them very well. His his passing was was quite polished. There was a point in the f- second half, I think, where he held onto the ball a little bit longer Vinicius were coming closer and closer and he just popped it off and yeah. you knew when he was in that position he wasn't going to cock it up either he knew yeah. exactly what he was doing and then you t- and from his perspective there's there's method to it because the longer he holds on to it obviously the players coming closer coming closer and if you can get it past him which you knew Renana was going to do you take him out of play and it yeah, frees up space for a teammate so uh, first impressions quite quite impressed really um, so I, I, it, you know, it, it's it's unfortunate for him that that United lost 2-0 but as, I think as I said in my match piece did, you know, he, they, he showed why they signed him despite the defeat absolutely yeah absolutely and I guess we'll, we'll just touch on the, the Wrexham game briefly as well I think that's probably all from um, for Real Madrid I mean the only thing of interest from the Madrid game like you said was, was Bellingham I mean he really looked oh. like one that got away for United doesn't he obviously they they tried to, to, to woo him in, in 2020 gave him the tour of Carrington he, he decided to go to to Dortmund um, he just looks to the man of ball and looks a, a phenomenal footballer a brilliant talker as well he spoke in the mix zone after the game about his, his clash with Martinez and was really really good on it really entertaining on it and yeah he just looks like a a world class midfielder and as, as good as United's midfield is now as much as it's improved since 2020 I think he'd if they had Jude Bellingham, he would still be the, the first name on, on the team sheet. Um, and then, yeah, moving, moving on to the Wrexham game. Um, I mean, I guess the takeaway from that was, was Nathan Bishop, wasn't it? And the, the Paul Mullen injury, not, not great goalkeeping. An, an unfortunate incident. There was obviously no malice in it. It was just probably poor decision-making. But it's, um, it, it became kind of a big story over here, didn't it? It did, yeah. Um, well, I didn't think any, any of us ever anticipated uh, Nathan Bishop uh, going viral ever, ever in his United career. He's he's never had that exposure. He's he's never I mean, he's never going to be in the first team. He's never going to get get a kick at competitive level. Uh, one wouldn't have thought. 
but the, it was a poor challenge and sometimes <clears throat> when, when you're watching a friendly you know the, the referee's going to offer some leeway but I thought in the Arsenal game there were quite a lot of bookings and there were quite a lot of bookings in, in the Wrexham game as mm-hmm. well and with the Bishop challenge I mean I think the referee probably realised as, as during this lengthy stoppage for Mullen and seeing Mullen getting, getting an oxygen mask that well you know, I've cocked up there. I should have sent him off, and that might have accounted for his daft decision to to um, dismiss Dan Gore in the second half because that wasn't a red card. That was that was a really really poor decision. Yeah. But you know, there, there's been some back, back and forth in it. In that we, some of us went over. We were waiting in the mix zone, and, and some of us went over and spoke to Phil Parkinson, and haven't seen Phil Parkinson on. The, the, the Disney Plus documentary and, and some also some chats post-match chats after National League games I think it was the infamous one when they lost in the playoffs uh, last year I, I suspected that he'd come out with line and he, and he certainly did when he, he said that you know, Nathan Bishop should steer clear of us mm-hmm. and, uh, United weren't happy with that understandably because they feel as though that, that fuels uh, online abuse I mean when Bishop put out a tweet airing his apology to, to Mullen he, he turned the comments off on it which was wise I mean I, I don't I couldn't even recall him actually sending a tweet Nathan Bishop so he, he clearly wanted to get the message out there he has spoken to Paul Mullen they are represented by the same agency and also quite a nice touch from Ryan Reynolds to, yeah, uh, to, to reach out for him Reynolds wasn't at the game he's been in London filming Ben Foster went into the United dressing room as well and, and you know, kind of consoled Bishop as well because when, when we saw him afterwards, he, he did look quite disconsolate and I'm not saying people should all feel massively sorry for him because obviously you know, the prime concern is, is Mullen and that he recovers from from really nasty injury. I mean, get, getting a punctured lung is... I can't imagine what that feels like, but yeah. I think we all sensed it was serious because when, when it first happened, I thought, oh, God, you know, that looks dreadful. Then the replay showed that it wasn't um, that, that it wasn't a head injury so you mm. thought well great he's, he's not concussed but if he's taking a bang to the ribs you're thinking cracked rib god knows what and it turns out to be a punctured lung so uh, it seems like he's recovering quite well which is the main thing I mean he's, he's Wrexham's talisman so yeah. that's why it's going to particularly sting for them and, and, and Bishop then whenever he got the ball he got booed by the crowd and then he was substituted at half-time and then Radic Vitek came on and he got booed as well. Uh, I think some of the United staff had even like, were kind of like jokingly taking wages on whether the crowd mm. would, would cotton on that, that Bishop had been replaced and a lot of them, a lot of them hadn't. But I think that's... Uh, it's, it's kind of par for the course out here in America that it, sometimes you, you enjoy yourself so much at a, at a game you can't you, you're not the most attentive and I think we've we've seen quite a lot of casual soccer fans it's, yeah. it's safe to say they're they're very passionate soccer fans over here as well but there are definitely some casual um, Johnny come latelys to to put it bluntly uh, regarding not just United's fortunes in in recent times but also also Wrexham so. Uh, yeah, it was, I mean, it was a good news story for us. It certainly it um, made made the occasion uh, worth worth attending because I think some of us were wondering, well, it's just an academy team coming up against Wrexham, but it was a good crowd and it was quite a watchable contest as well. Even though um, United lost that one as well, uh, it, it's a, it's a good learning curve for their for their young players coming up against a team who are who are on the up and. Mm-hmm. Who play play very a, a very aggressive style of football and it's a very direct and different style of football to what 
those United Academy players will have been used to, as as, as we saw with with the goals. One was across, another one was a long throw that could have gone into a different time zone, getting <laughs> flicked from near post to far post, and. I think the third goal was, was across as well. It so was ahead of, yeah. th- those are learning curves for, for young players. That, that 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 will help them. Sometimes it's more helpful to actually lose a game like that rather than win it. Yeah, definitely. Uh, that is all for part one of the Manchester is Red podcast. We'll be back after the break to talk transfers and strikers. Welcome back to the Manchester is Red podcast. Uh, myself, Tyrone Marshall and Samuel Lockhurst in San Diego. Uh, one of the recurring themes of this tour, we just talked about it in the first half, is United's lack of goals. One of the recurring news stories is the striker search. Uh, the, that is the next the next deal in the pipeline. I think it would be fair to say they've got a goalkeeper and a midfielder in now. £100 million on those two. A striker is next. Uh, which striker is the question all... All roads seem to lead to, to Rasmus Hoyland at the moment, um, which I think there's there's some surprise on their their stance. I think on on Harry Kane and the way United are maybe going about the um, the, the search for a striker. But in terms of actually what's happening, I mean, what what is the situation with with Rasmus Hoyland at the moment? And United United's chase for him, Simon. Well, Piers G have made a bid, haven't they? That, have, that yeah. came out yesterday. Um, I'm sure it will be made official sooner rather than later that United made their own bid. Uh, made United team. I think the fact that John Murta has been out here, he's been in New Jersey, San Diego and Houston, yeah. I think that, that gives you an idea of the, the confidence at the club that you know they, they, they don't feel the need to have presence in Bergamo to you know, hold additional discussions with Atalanta officials because Murta has done that already and there is a confidence at United that they will sign a striker in time for the, the Wolves game and, and that striker is, is Rasmus Hoyland they have got some others who are being kept on ice on the off chance that the Hoyland deal doesn't happen I think with PSG I, I, I half wonder whether they've done their proper due diligence there because I would I'd be surprised if Hoyland jumps at the chance and decides to go there because United have been have gone so far down the line with Hoyland they must be pretty confident of getting it over the line and they are and Hoyland has spoken to Ten Hag I, that, that happened about two months ago at the very least if that's happened and United is still in this position where he is their principal striker target you, you, you wouldn't be wasting your time on that so although PSG have come in for Hoyland, I don't think that's going to unnerve United greatly. And it will just be a case of you know, negotiating a final fee that Atalanta are, are happy with. I mean, they've, they've dealt with them quite recently, uh, a few years ago, over the Ahmad deal, which was, I think, £19 million rising to £37 million. And United have said that they won't go over £60 million, which I think is fair. Um, but if they do pay over that, they, they're going to look a bit daft now um, because Hoyland's price, you know, Atlanta could try and hold out for a higher fee because PSG have come in for him, which might be the only thing that you know, does does affect United's own approach and their own pack their own package for Hoyland. But I think everybody, you know, for, for those of us out here on the tour, uh, the way United, uh, uh, you know, all the noises coming out of United. There's, yeah, I think we all expect Hoyland to end up at United next season and United are talking about 
getting him in in time for the Wolves game on, on August 14th which is just over two weeks away I think that's that's pretty doable as well again they're so far down the line with Hoyland they've there's there's clearly this confidence that they will get it over mm-hmm. the line as, as I've just said so I just suppose now we're in this uh, when in this territory where it will be bid submitted, personal terms agreed, bid accepted. He's flying over. He's having his medical. He's had the first half of his medical, the second half of his medical. It, it wouldn't surprise me if it gets to that. I hope it does because I, I could do without it collapsing. Then <laughs> United scrambling around trying to sign another striker, but they have got. I think the two of interest um, as alternative targets are, are Randall Kolo Muani and uh, Mohamed Kudus. So it's not like they've, they've you know gone all in on Hoyland. But as we said earlier, um, no, sorry, the other day, in fact, the, the big pressure on him, I think, if or when he joins United, it's not so much that he's going to be leading the line for United. He's going to be leading the line for United in the summer that Harry Kane has also left Tottenham. Yeah. Because he's always going to be compared to him. And I don't think anybody is expecting Hoyland to score more goals than, than Kane next season. And look, if Kane's in the Bundesliga, that's that's fair enough. But if there's a big gap in terms of their their goals output and, and Hoyland struggles to cut it in his first season, that is going to be a stick used to beat United with for, for quite a long time. Yeah, absolutely. The, the Kane thing, you know, United and everyone who speaks to United is absolutely adamant they are not going for... For Harry Kane, but I think if he goes to to Bayern Munich and, and they don't make an effort for it, as we've said before, it's it's going to look bizarre, really. Um, and Hoyland, you know, Ten Hag wanted a striker. He wanted a proven striker, someone that could come in and be a guarantee of goals. I don't think Rasmus Hoyland is that. The word that was used the other day was, uh, I think, a rough diamond, basically, someone that, that Ten Hag is going to polish up and and almost signing a young player that they know that they're hoping Ten Hag can improve but I don't think Rasmus Hoyland at 20 who scored nine goals in Serie A last season I don't think he was always a regular starter for Atalanta it is a huge ask for someone like that to come in and lead the line for Man United and as as talented a footballer as he might be there might be spells next season where he needs to come out of the team there might be spells where Marcus Rashford has to play through the middle where Anthony Martial Anthony Martial has to play through the middle there is Undoubtedly, I think, an, an element of, of risk with this deal, isn't there? Yeah, I, I, I mean, an agent I spoke to the other day, they said it's a, it's a huge gamble. Mm. And in fairness, they'd called it a while ago. They said that they thought that United would go for Hoyland or, or Moani. They seemed to be in that second tier of strikers that they looked at after they decided that Kane and, and Victor Osman were, were no-goes. But it's not, it's not a signing that elevates them to... Yeah, title challenging status and if, if they'd signed Kane you're immediately looking at that team and you think okay you, sh- you should be going for the league this season you know you weigh up the pros and cons but ultimately when you've got Harry Kane your team it it, it should make it should make you better you know his, his age is irrelevant he's, he's a world class striker and he's been a world class striker for probably I don't know, seven seven or eight years maybe um, with with Hoyland, the, the, there'll be method to it because you know I have looked at other strikers in recent uh, years who were developed in Austria. I mean Erling Haaland, Benjamin Sesko, and now you've got Rasmus Hoyland. That I, I don't think that's coincidence. I think there's there's got to be um, you know a, a, con, a, a conscious decision to do that and to look at players and and to that they must have a liking for the Austrian league and what they're doing there as well with. 
um, young, young prodigies who, who play up front. They're all, all three of them are, are strikers. And you know, I think with Sesco last year, Ten Hag would have liked him. I mean, I think it was Brian Brobby as well, wasn't it? it was, at the start of the yeah, summer, yeah. Who uh, got a mention. And uh, I suppose the only surprise with Hoyland is that I look at his you know, profile, his CV, and I don't see anything related to the Netherlands yeah. or the Eredivisie. <laughs> uh, but he is, he is represented by, by Ten Hag's agent, uh, we should hasten to add. So, uh, it, as I said, that it is going to be a lot on his shoulders. Um, the, the pressure of, of, of coming to United, I mean, I, I don't think anything can really quite prepare someone that young for the, the scrutiny he's going to be under. It, it's... I mean, the most there are two positions in the team that are the most scrutinised um, above all others, and that's goalkeeper and striker. And if you're not cutting in either, there, there are going to be calls for for you to be cut effectively. Yeah. And United don't want to be in that position where they look at Hoyland and think they think you know he's he's going to have to come out of the team. He's he's not you know he's he's, he's struggling, and we're going to have to put Anthony Marshall in because then you're just regressing. Um, I, yeah, look. United have also said as well that in terms of his fee it's you know this whole tight budget thing profitability and sustainability rules and complying with them it's that they can get players out this summer and in the winter transfer mm. window to balance the books and and that leads me to think well that, that suggests that you have a little bit more money than you're letting on and, yeah. and somebody had told me that as well it's he, they said that United were almost like pleading poverty to clubs just to you know, rein in spending and not overspend. And I, look, if that works, and that's that's a good negotiation tactic. But with a striker, they were all, I always felt that they had to pay close to £100 million. Now, Hoyland is not worth that, and they shouldn't be going anywhere near that. But I, I also doubt whether they should be going for Hoyland, just because I, I look at the package and I'm not sure that's the profile of striker they should be going for um, to, to elevate them to, to a greater standing in on the domestic front or the European front. I mean, they finished third last season. They had a, they had a successful season. But if you want to kick on, you need real high high caliber signings. And I certainly think Anana fits the bill. Mount that he's Ten Hag wanted him. Mm. Ten Hag's got him. He's aligned with Ten Hag. Fair enough. You know, speaking from my own opinion, I wouldn't have necessarily said he was the midfielder to go for, but. Ten Hag has got his man there, and it seems like you know, with Hoyland he'd, he'd get his man as well. But the one he really, in an ideal world, the one he would have is Kane. And there's a big, there's a massive difference. I mean, you've got a 30 year old striker who's been proven season after season after season. You've got a 20 year old striker who's had about two transfers in the last two years, going from. Um, was it Copenhagen? I think he was at yeah, Stern, Stern Graz and then Stern Graz Atalanta, and he's not been playing at clubs of you know, massively high pedigree either. I know Atalanta have got a very good reputation for developing young players, but that is primarily through their academy. And, and Hoyland, he, he didn't join their academy; he went to their first team, and he's only spent a year there. So, he, look, good luck to him if he goes to United, because it's you know if if he can shoulder the responsibility, then. That they'll have done all right, and people at United say he's, you know, he wants to work hard, and I think they clearly like, like the look of him as well. So, 
it'll be fascinating to see how it goes that's for certain I don't think we'll be short things to write about <clears throat> when he comes in no definitely I think this this does feel like the biggest transfer gamble they have taken under under Ten Hag so far given how important a position it is for the for the future and you, know, you, you, you just can't spend 60 million on a striker and then splash out 60 million on another next year if it goes wrong and I guess the the one maybe hoping an ideal scenario for United is that they, they sign Hoyland and, and Kane stays at Tottenham and they get Kane on a free next year but I, I think that's looking unlikely the way um, the, the way the Kane deal is moving and, and maybe going to to Bayern Munich you mentioned outgoings there um, I mean like I say it's interesting United feel they can they can spend again on, on Hoyland before selling I think there is probably a bit of a bit of crying wolf about FFP to, to bring prices down but in terms of outgoings, I guess Dean Henderson's potentially the next one, and, and the the unknown is is Scott McTominay. Um, West Ham obviously interested in him. The, the picture may have changed on that. We're recording this Friday in San Diego, Friday morning. It's a day off for, for United, the one day off of the tour for United players and staff today. Uh, we will be speaking to Sen Hag tomorrow, and obviously KB Rainey got got injured as we said in Houston. Scott McTominay suffered a knee injury at the, the very end of the game as well. He did walk away, but. Those two things could could complicate outgoings, but it feels like McTominay is is one to watch, isn't he, in terms of a departure? Definitely. And although Maynu left with a protective boot on and uh, he, was, he was on crutches as well, unfortunately, it it might be severe. It might not be. I mean, Ahmad left on crutches at, uh, in, in New Jersey last week, and then he was running a few days later, mm. and he was on the bench for. For the uh, the Madrid game the other night, uh, it's it's probably not helped him in terms of his progress because he he only he didn't even play fifteen minutes against Arsenal and then he didn't play at all against uh, against Madrid the other evening. But I thought Maynou's even though it's pre-season, I thought Maynou's selection uh, or his retention rather mm. against Madrid was was significant. Yeah. That you brought, or sorry, Ten Hag brought Casemiro in, Mount obviously started as well and moved further up. But all of a sudden, you're looking at Maynou and you're thinking, is he the? It looks like he's a third or fourth choice midfielder now for United. Uh, and I think this year alone, he's overtaken Iqbal, who's gone. He's overtaken Fred, who is going. And it looks like he's briefly, or maybe it won't be briefly, but he's overtaken McTominay, who could also be going. If if Maynou's got a severe injury, then that definitely impacts what. Uh, what United do with McTominay because at that point I mean one a club have got to stump up about £40 million for him I don't think McTominay is necessarily that that valuable and there might be a compromise there maybe that's just the you know the the, the, the starting fee um, that United are going to float out there and, and, and see what what comes of it but I, I always thought that if you get £30 million from McTominay you'll have, you'll have done well He's not started a lot of games for United in the last year under Ten Hag either. And I think that's something that, that clubs will be aware of and they will go to United and say, well, look, you clearly, this, this guy is not, um, he's, he's not exactly a key member of Ten Hag's squad. But if, if Maine is injured, they, I, I don't see how they proactively go about selling McTominay. And I don't think they are going about about it proactively with him because he is one of those players that if he stays fine good he has his he has purpose as as a squad player and and that is his ceiling at united he is he, he's a rotational player he's a squad member but if main is fit and they do get a good fee for mctomney then great then you accept it because then you can actually strengthen your squad and bring 
a specialist defensive midfielder in um, because McTominay is not a defensive midfielder and I think Ten Hag it's pretty laudable in the way that he he wants to he seems to want to do this sooner rather than later he's he's looked at parts of the squad and he's thought I need I need two midfielders who are not going to compromise the way we play um, if Ericsson starting or Mount starting yeah you know, there's there's symmetry there and if Casemiro falls out of the team I don't want to be in a position where I'm I'm looking for a stopgap defensive midfielder I want a specialist there. And that could be the case if they get McTominay off the books and then they can strengthen that, that part of the squad. So, um, again, it's certainly one to watch. Uh, Henderson, I think we will still just expect him to go yeah. and, and the likelihood will be that United bring, bring a goalkeeper in. I mean, Suzuki, the, the Japanese keeper, is someone that United really like, but I don't think they necessarily see him as number two material um, straight away and it would be a big ask for a 20 year old coming you know, coming to Man United and you know, the, the possibility of Anana getting injured and having a long run of games that's that's a very different situation they'd be in from one where they've got Anana who came through the Barcelona Academy played at Ajax played at Inter Milan very very experienced goalkeeper um, and, and we're still not necessarily sure about Tom Heaton there, there mm. could be some movement there but I, I think that Heaton is would actually serve a purpose as as a number two for for one more year. I think he's he's up to it. He's experienced as well, and I certainly think that Ten Hag would be loath to letting him go because he is not going to want uh, some callow goalkeepers as cover for Anana. Definitely. Uh, that's all for the second part. We'll be back the final part of the Manchester Shred podcast after this break to talk about Vegas. Welcome back to the Manchester is Red podcast. We're on the home straight now as far as United's US tour is confirmed. Uh, United's got one more day um, in, in San Diego. Like I say, it's a day off today on Friday. They'll be training on Saturday before they fly to Las Vegas Saturday evening and face Borussia Dortmund at 6pm local time on Sunday. Not even sure if they're training in, in Vegas or whether it is just the game. It's it's not weather that is um, conducive, to, is conducive yeah. to training, it would be fair to say. The temperatures in Vegas at the moment are around 44, 45 degrees. So uh, the, the stadium will be air-conditioned, but it's not uh, it's not temperatures you want to do much uh, activity in in terms of a training ground or anything like that. So I'm not sure if they'll even be training there, whether it's just uh, the game at the Allegiant Stadium. They're playing Borussia Dortmund. Dortmund are actually in San Diego at the moment. They played at the Snapdragon last night against... Uh, the local team, San Diego Loyal, who are, who are not even an MLS side. San Diego are getting an MLS franchise in a couple of years, but San Diego Loyal playing in the league below that. Dortmund, I, none of us went, of course. It was uh, not uh, not an event to write home about, but Dortmund won 6-0. Um, it feels like all the stories in terms of the Dortmund team have pretty much gone now with, with Bellingham and Haaland. They have signed Marcel Sabitzer, of course, so it'll be a reunion for him, but all the focus in, in Vegas will, will be on United. Um, in terms of a team, what what are we expecting? I, I guess we're at that point now where Tanaka is going to start playing his strongest team and his his most likely team in in this game. And we may know out it's probably a Casemiro, Mount, Fernandez midfield and and bring a winger in to start. And we saw players play sixty minutes in in Houston generally, apart from Fernandez yeah. who, who played ninety. He's a bit of a machine. But we're at the point where players are, are up in their minutes, and it's more about those patterns of play rather than just fitness, isn't it? 
Yeah, that was certainly one of the takeaways from the Madrid game. It wasn't wholesale changes at, at half time, and I don't think anybody, any of us, were necessarily expecting it either. The, the way United were playing, the, 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 there was a decent intensity to, about the game as well and a good competitive edge as, as we saw with the, the, the clash between Bellingham and Martinez. So I can see something similar in, in Las Vegas. It's not as though the players are going to be playing in punishing heat. That, that stadium only opened about two or three years ago. So it's, it's, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to seeing what it's like for one, but you one, one would imagine it will be state-of-the-art. It, it mainly hosts the... Um, Football team, doesn't it? Uh, I can't even remember their name now. I've just, Raiders, I, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they were the Oakland Raiders, but now I take it they're the. Yeah. Are they Las Vegas Raiders? It rings it's, a bell, but yeah, I'm not. I'm not I can picture the 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 uh, logo is certainly very um, very recognisable. Um, but with I suppose one of the other things about it, and again, it wasn't wasn't exactly a revelation but Wan-Bissaka is very much I mean you spoke to him mm-hmm. uh, you did an interview with him that will be published at a, a later date um, he's, he's clearly the the, the favoured right back at the moment which you know, with with Dallow he had five poor months and he got a five year contract and I get it I, th- I think he was actually worthy of a of a new contract but the length of it did seem quite excessive and that, that has certainly been an issue United have had and that they'll be a bit too knee-jerk with contract renewals and, and giving players too many years when, and then all of a sudden, you know, it's, it's not exactly a long way down the line. They're in a bit of a pickle with them because they're, they're, they're a sellable, they're, they're, they're not playing that much and they might want to leave, but then the length of the contract can be quite prohibitive. I suppose at least this year, you know, there are a lot more clubs interested in United players. Last year, they they couldn't even shift Ronaldo last yeah. year. Um, the, they they didn't have any sellable assets. It seemed like all of them were unsellable because of the the dreadful season that had gone on, and they'd all been part of. But with Wan Bissaka, he's he's rebuilt his reputation. He's he's had a he's had a pretty good year. Um, I still have my doubts on on him as as a long term. I, I don't think he's I don't think he's at the level. I don't think he will ever be at the level. United need for for right back in this era. Um, he's trying. He's you know he's 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 moving into midfield. He's trying to um, you know, follow uh, Ten Hag's instructions, and th- there have been some good signs. But he did get a bit of a chase in the other night from from Vinicius, yeah. and again that wasn't just his fault. United didn't really quite know how to handle that Madrid formation. Casemiro was was off the pace as well, and and that left them very very vulnerable. They were quite porous, particularly in the first half. So Dortmund are a different you know, different entity. Um, as, as we've said time and again, they're not the team they were. I mean, they should have won the Bundesliga last season. They still choked on the final day, and they're not as interesting a team now either because Jude Bellingham isn't there. So um, all those. Young prodigies, they seem to have moved on to bigger and better things. There were, there were a couple still lingering. I think it's Jamie uh, Bino Gittins, who yeah, went from City. Manchester City. Mm. And I remember watching him in a in, in a youth. I can't remember what the competition was, but it was at Lee Sports Village, so it was definitely a youth <laughs> a youth team game a couple of years ago, and he was very very good. Um, so he's he's, you know, he's he's followed the same path as as Jaden Sancho, but. Sabitzer went there for I think about sixteen million pounds, which was around the the amount we thought that the fee that we thought he would command, and 
was that always going to be worth United's while when yeah, they've, they've got other specialist targets? We, the, the suspicion all along was that the answer would be no to that mm. and, and obviously they've, they've not bothered signing him and they will certainly not be signing Val Weghorst on a permanent <laughs> basis either. Um, I think he was, he was booed, wasn't he? By, he by booed Burnley by Burnley fans. fans, yeah, yeah. The other day, yeah, he's not exactly uh, popular up in... In, in rural Lancashire so uh, yeah I mean it's, it's the final it's the final game of the tour it's, it's strange in that they've not they've, the first time they haven't actually played that many games on on this tour no. normally when you do a US tour um, it's two weeks it's minimum four games I think on the the previous two I did I think it was five games so for United to only play three games there's only one man who's responsible for that and that's Ten Hag mm. and that's the way he wants it so that um, they've obviously got the two games against uh, Lons and, and Athletic Bilbao back at Old Trafford and then in, in, in Dublin next week as that final bit of preparation for, for the new Premier League season uh, I suppose with, with this one they'll, they'll just want to end the tour on, on a high it would be a bit of a dampener if, if they lose that one having lost to Madrid as well Yeah definitely I was going to touch on that I mean we, we've spoken a lot of this tour uh, maybe not on the podcast about how Ten Hag is, is focused on that football, that training element and just that real attention to detail and, and things like that and cutting commercial days down. Um, the, the, it's a funny old tour with the, the under-21s game. It, it was, you know, that was sold as a, Man- a young Manchester United team. I mean, they're not going to want to end this tour having lost three of their four games. And it's obviously, you don't read too much into pre-season. Ten Hag's got enough credit in the bank to avoid dramatic pre-season conclusions because they've lost a few, a few friendlies but they will they will want to sort of rebuild some of their momentum after after this week and losing twice in, in 24 hours even if it was two very different teams yeah and, and he touched upon that with the Wrexham game as well he was he was asked about it at his post-match press conference in Houston and, and he, he was even a little bit critical of that but he said that experiences losing that, that can be more helpful than, than winning but I think he did actually say he was, that they were quite disappointed with the performances of, of some of the youngsters and, and those are the standards that United should be um, ad- adhering to. You, you don't want a manager who's just going to brush off a defeat or just, just laugh it off. Um, there's, there's one who came to mind and he, he happened to be um, Ten Hag's permanent predecessor who could um, you know, be a bit clumsy in, in situations like that. Uh, but as, as I've said all along, that's that's one of... One of Ten Hag's biggest strengths is how hot he is on um, standards dropping and he will call out the players on it and he won't do it individually. Uh, well, I suppose the other night he did you know, he did name three players who should have scored a goal but it wasn't exactly you know, you know, singling out a player for really you know, harsh criticism like, like Mourinho might have done. He wasn't exactly throwing them under the bus but he, you know, he has standards and... Uh, there were some some of the youngsters in that Wrexham game did all right. Some of them, um, are, are just just they're never going to get a look in at United, and and there's no shame in that necessarily. Mm. But um, I think uh, you I think it's one's right to be disappointed in certain players at times. I mean, Joe Hugo had a very very good first season in the academy. Second season he got got injured and unfortunately that meant that he, he didn't really get a look in that youth cup team so the the timing was particularly dreadful there but um, I, I'm not even necessarily sure it's it's regression with him I mean I, I thought he was a pretty good nimble striker when I first saw him but now he he looks he looks very separate from the way the rest of the team play and 
Ten Hag spoke um, at, at UCSD about drawing a line down from the first from the first team down, so that every team, every level, plays the same way, which is completely logical in the way United should should have been operating for years. But there's there's not been a consistent pattern because of different managers, and um, that's that's changed now with Ten Hag coming in. It's not it's not coincidence. It's an I, a former Ajax manager who is insisting on that, and and the warm up in. In, in San Diego for that Wrexham game they were the same drills as the first yeah. team as well so that's that, that is reassuring for United that they, they want you know, that, this identity crisis that they've been mired in for so many years that is definitely easing under Ten Hag and if you're not in sync with the way everyone else plays you're going to stick out like a sore thumb and unfortunately Hugo I, I, in the games I've watched him I know he scored in Oslo but he he seems quite immobile. Um, that there aren't many patterns that he's developing with teammates there either. But it's a good experience for him, and, and he's he's been kept on for the tour as well. Uh, I, I imagine because Anthony Alanga has, has has gone to Nottingham Forest permanently now, and Ten Hag said we need the numbers, so they've they've still got quite quite a bloated squad out here. Really, I think it's thirty three yeah. players he's yeah, been up be to with with Hugo and Johnny Evans. Yeah, uh, so the Dortmund game, early hours of Monday morning, UK time, uh, Sunday evening, 6pm local time over here, of course. Uh, we'll have plenty of content on, on our YouTube channel for that through uh, through Monday for you. All the usual coverage on the Manchester Evening News website. We'll be back for a podcast probably before we leave Las Vegas, so probably Monday afternoon, uh, UK time. So keep an eye on that as well and, and do give us a like and a follow and, and all of that. Um, But for now, that is all from San Diego and we will be back with you soon. Thank you for tuning in.